From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Joy Powers. Today we'll learn about teen mental health in Wisconsin. Then we'll meet a Wisconsinite looking for love on Fox's reality dating show, Farmer Wants a Wife. The advice that I have for people trying to date nowadays, I feel like you just really have to be yourself and fall in love with yourself first and be really self-confident and learn what makes you tick. Plus, we'll learn how to honor the earth as a resolution for this year. For a lot of us, when we think about New Year resolutions, they're very personal and related often to our body. I want us to shift and think the same about our relationship with the earth and its physical health. All of that is coming up on Lake Effect. But first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Joy Powers, and thank you so much for joining us on this lovely Valentine's Day. Wisconsin officials are sharing their concerns about children's mental health and self-harm. Last month, the State Office of Children's Mental Health presented its annual briefing. They highlighted statistics over the past five years, including 10% of teens attempting suicide and nearly half of LGBTQ youth considering suicide. WUWM's Eddie Morales spoke with high school senior Nathan Zirk. He attends North Crawford High School in Soldiers Grove. Zirk details his personal mental health journey and his involvement in helping improve programs in schools. As a warning to listeners, this conversation talks about suicidal ideation. How did you connect with the Office of Children's Mental Health in the first place? During a Sources of Strength meeting, we are schooled as Sources of Strength. We connected into one giant group to see what the best approach towards mental health is. And I had my own opinions and ideas of how it should be handled that didn't necessarily align with having a program, like a bunch of different programs around the state. So one of my adult leaders of Sources of Strength reached out to the Office of Children's Mental Health with just saying that there's a kid who wants to talk about different ways and alternatives that might be a little better for dealing with mental health. Um, Can you explain what Sources of Strength is? Um, Sources of Strength is a peer-to-peer program Um, That is throughout high schools in Wisconsin and other states too, but in Wisconsin, it's based off of the premise of a wheel and the wheel has eight pieces and the pieces are like family support, physical activity, spirituality, mentors, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have more parts of your wheel filled, technically you're in a better spot mentally and you're able to be your true self. So like the Source of Strength has a team that's nominated by teachers and from there they meet every so often and we'll do, we'll plan things and coordinate different efforts to try to help people. One thing we did last year was we all took a marker, like a mirror marker and wrote some positive affirmations on the bathroom um, mirrors just so that people don't expect it and just kind of see it and look up and say, oh, okay, cool. I also did an effort where there was a letter sent out to every high school student that's personally written, obviously anonymous, but personally written, just kind of commending them for their efforts and 
just letting them know that they're seen and they're heard and that they matter. You mentioned that you had some of your own opinions based on personal experiences of how those programs can improve or how at, at least you know, addressing mental health within schools can improve. Can you just speak to some of that based on your own experiences and also what ideas you have for that? When I was going through my mental health struggles in about August of 2022 is when it got really bad. I did not have many parts of the wheel. I didn't even have like half of it filled. I had my mentors and I had some healthy activities, but like physically I was not active. Um, I didn't have much spirituality and there were just some parts of the wheel that I did not have. However, when I got through all of my struggles, things started to look up and I realized I don't necessarily need to fill the entire wheel at one time. And that's when I kind of realized like other people are probably looking through the same lens as I am and looking at this colorful wheel, thinking that they need to fill this and that they can't, they're not good enough because that's what I felt. And so that's when I really wanted to make it known that I wasn't really feeling right with the wheel. There was something wrong with it and I wasn't quite sure what. So after I got out of my bouts with all my battles, I, I made my voice heard to my guidance counselor first about you know the technicalities and cliches behind it. And then it, it furthermore just kind of went on to talking to other leaders and mentors about it. Sometimes the wheel will work for some people and that they will look at the wheel and feel completely fulfilled. And that is more power to them. But I feel like there also needs to be that kind of lenience of like, if the wheel doesn't work, because so sources of strength really perpetuates the wheel of their like premise of being center and forward. And sometimes it feels a little bit, you know, simplifying, it, it kind of just like breaking down the complexities of some mental health struggles. My worry about sources is that it might push a narrative that someone has depression and oversimplify another person who's going through it. And you mentioned a little bit about poetry and some of the things that you're interested in that you pursued. Can you explain how those things have either helped or just given you something that you don't mind sharing? Um, writing for me has been a personal journey that I just have recently started to share more or less because my writing is very real and very blunt. And I guess the way I see it is that when something happened, my very first thing I would want to do is write. So I would take notes in my phone about different things I wanted to write about and just kind of formulate what I wanted to write. And then I, I wrote it and let it go. Like all of my struggles, when I wrote them down, it felt like there was a pressure lifted off. And that, that's one of the biggest things I think I realized coming out of all of my journey is that there are healthy ways to handle things. When I would self-harm, it would feel good for the moment, but then it, would, it wouldn't feel good on the long term. But I have published or self-published seven books now. And knowing that my story can help another person, it, it means a lot to me. And I really appreciate when people read my work or recognize it because it makes it feel like through my struggles, I've helped someone else. What is within that body of work? What is it exactly? Is, are they all poetry books? Uh, what's some of the um, some of the themes of them? Can you just share a little bit more about that? I have over 400 poems written and published. 
they expand all the way from suicidality to self-harm to being sad to being happy to falling in love like it is a it, it was a roller coaster on my journey it was just whatever came and it was all poetry so one of the books is called behind her eyes that is kind of my healing book i guess i would say it is where i really took a turn for the better because there were a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes, but I was slowly, very slowly starting to get back to a decent place. And then after that, I wrote a book called Texts I Never Sent. And it was dedicated to people who want to say something about how they're feeling, but just have never, have never went out and did it. How do you feel about the future of you know, mental health programs and just the future of mental health in high schools and with children. What, what do you think about that going forward? Going forward, if we amplify all different types of voices, I think we can get really, really far. I mean, Wisconsin is already pretty forward compared to a lot of different states in the country regarding mental health. And I would hate to see us take steps back. I know after the annual briefing, I genuinely felt in my heart that I had hope for Wisconsin and my community, like in general, like I feel like we are taking the right steps. We just need to make sure we keep our eye on the goal. Well, Nathan, thanks again for taking the time this afternoon. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. That was WUWM's Eddie Morales speaking with high school senior Nathan Zirk. You can listen to Eddie's conversation with another student about youth mental health at wuwm.com. If you or anyone you know is in a crisis or thinking about suicide, trained help is available. You can talk to someone at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988. Later in the show, we'll learn how you can honor the earth with some resolutions for this year. But first, we'll meet a local woman featured on this season of Fox's reality dating show, Farmer Wants a Wife. That's coming up next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. Love can be found in some unexpected places. Just ask Wisconsinite Grace Gerard. She joined Fox's reality dating show Farmer Wants a Wife in hopes of a rural romance. On the show, four farmers from across the country are set up with a crop of single women from big cities to show them life on the farm. I've dated in the city. I haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm looking for my forever person. I have a daughter. She's 12 years old. Dating in a small town is very hard. Share it with a special lady. That would just mean the world to me. Walking through those doors might be your future husband. Gerard is one of those ladies trying to wrangle the heart of farmer Brandon Rogers on season two of the show. Lake Effect's excret Nunez spoke with Gerard about her decision to join the show and what her journey to find love has been like. As a warning for fans of the show, there are some spoilers ahead. 
I kind of want to start from the beginning. Tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how did you end up on the show? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I am a Wisconsin native. Basically spent most of my life in Wisconsin and I have tried the dating scene in Milwaukee. I'm always out on the weekends, but I feel like it just wasn't working out for me. Um, I'm definitely someone that likes to be approached at the bar and I feel like a lot of times that just wasn't happening. So my family knew this and my aunt, who is really into reality TV shows, she texted me one day and was like, I think you should apply for Farmer Wants a Wife. I just finished season one and they're looking for cast members for season two. And I said, sure, why not? And so I filled out my application and I just kept getting pushed through the steps in the process and ended up on the show. That's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> I know your aunt is the one they originally had the idea mm-hmm. for you to apply, but I guess you mentioned, you know, maybe Milwaukee guys didn't have much game, but... <laughs> <laughs> I like that, much game. <laughs> <laughs> but what made you, like, you consider and think dating a farmer might be for me? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've grown up in Wisconsin and around farms, but I've never actually set foot on one. So, A, I thought it would be a new experience to get a chance to live on a farm and see if that's something that I would be into. And then B, I just figured that farmers are just really generally hardworking people. And that's something that's really attractive to me. Like I like someone that is willing to put the time in and out to um, invest in themselves. And then it's basically like a massive business that they run. So that was something that was attractive to me. And I feel like I just thought that that might be something that, you know, aligns with my values. And so I figured a farmer might work out. Were you into reality TV before going and joining Farmer Wants a Wife? No. So I had never really watched reality TV before um, going on the show. I have really never been into reality dating shows or um, anything like that. So this was definitely my first foray into it in all ways. Did you watch season one of Farmer Wants a Wife to get an idea? Yes. So when I applied for the show um, and then I learned that they wanted me to do a video interview, I started to binge the first season of the show just to make sure I knew how it all worked and what I was getting myself into. Uh, But previous to that, I had not watched any of it. So for context, you matched with Farmer Brandon, Mm -hmm. who's a potato and barley farmer in rural Colorado. Um, I remember in the first episode, you mentioned to Farmer Brandon that you recently drove a tractor. (laughs) Yes. Um, Did you, was that also part of your preparation to date a farmer? Yeah. So I did a lot. I tried to prep myself quite a bit. Once I learned that I was going to Colorado, I did a lot of research on their agriculture and like what's most prominent there. And then I also just happened to be at one of my friend's house and they have a lot of land out in Burlington and they have a lot of tractors and equipment for taking care of their land. And so they had me get on a tractor. (laughs) That's so funny. Because I was like, wow, she really pulled that one out. Right. (laughs) It was like literally the week before I think I went on the show. So it was it was tight, but I did it. (laughs) (laughs) And so for people who aren't familiar with the show, can you explain the process of how each lady is matched with one of the four farmers Do you have a say in which farmer you're interested in? Yeah, great question. So when I was moving along in the process as far as interviews go and applications, 
they eventually ended up sending me seven total farmers to look at. So we got like a minute and a half video of the farmers and it described where they were living and their interests. And then also it was just like little glimpses of an interview that they had on their end. So we got to get to know a little bit of their personalities. And then from there, we ranked them from one to seven. Um, And then, to my understanding, um, on the back end, Fox then put us up with a matchmaker and they got to rank a bunch of girls on their end. Uh, And then we were all kind of just matched based on personalities and interests. And uh, they did a really good job about making sure that all of you guys were matched in the right way. When you were when you were signed the seven farmers, What was it from Farmer Brandon's profile or video that initially caught your eye? Yeah, to me, Farmer Brandon just seemed really down to earth. He seemed very genuine in his video. He had this adorable moment where he somebody asked him, like, have you dated a lot in the past? You know, what's your previous dating history looked like? And he said, oh, that's tough. And he, like, took off his little cowboy hat and, like, (laughs) asked for a moment of silence for his dating life. Um, So I just thought that was so funny. Um, So I really like the self-deprecating humor. I feel like that aligns (laughs) with my humor. And then, you know, I just feel like being out in Colorado, I thought that would be an absolutely stunning place to go and live and see um, if I liked it out there. And I feel like it was just a lot of things that aligned with what I was looking for in a guy. Yeah, because I mean, like, it's fun to watch as a viewer, but this is also very serious for you, you know, like, yeah, it seems like a fun experience, but it's just you're looking for a loved one, you know? Totally, totally. I mean, I think you'll be able to see on the show that a lot of us girls are really there for the right reasons and really, really do want to find our person through this. And I said that the entire time, too. It was a unique experience and a unique way to find, you know, your person potentially. That was the end goal the whole time. So it was really interesting. Right. And you make it out to rural Colorado. Mm -hmm. You know, you were mentioning, like, could I see myself potentially living here? What were your initial thoughts? Like, now you're here in what feels like the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a point where you felt worried if the farming life was for you? Yeah, so we landed in Denver, and then it's like a four-hour drive to where he lives from Denver. So we had a lot of time in the car um, just to take, you know, moments to ourselves and then look at the views. It was absolutely beautiful. Like, when we first started driving through the mountains and everything, it was stunning. So I was definitely just taken away by all of the beauty out in Colorado. And then um, once we got to the farm, I mean, he really is in the middle of nowhere. He, like, (laughs) lives in the middle of all of his plots of farming and potatoes and barley and everything so it was definitely a little bit of a culture shock for me I mean I have no background in this but the whole time I was just kind of like you know I'm here to learn about it it's a really big part of um, Wisconsin the agriculture in Wisconsin so I just kind of wanted to learn as much as I could while I was out there get my hands dirty um, and then kind of go from there so I really kind of approached it with as much of an open mind as possible Um, but there definitely were some moments where I was a little bit nervous about how much work does go into it. I mean, it's like full 10-hour days at times plus that, you know, and I feel like it's never really – you can't really escape it because he was, like, living right there on the farm. So that was kind of nerve-wracking for me, but I feel like outside of that, you know, I feel like I was just there to put 100% of my effort into it and have a good time while I was doing so. Yeah, a really positive attitude. (laughs) Yeah, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) And so when it comes to how you saw or understood the farming industry and farm Mm -hmm. life – before the show, 
What's something new that you took away from this experience? Yeah, so I definitely just came to realize how big of a part agriculture plays in our everyday life here in Wisconsin and throughout the United States. I feel like that wasn't something that I ever had an understanding of. So that is for sure something that I took away from it and how impactful farmers are. And I feel like after I started to like learn about it, I really just took a big appreciation for that um, back to Wisconsin, which has been really you know nice I feel like I've learned a lot about it and you know it was a crazy experience to uh, get to witness that firsthand yeah absolutely and so just to clarify when did filming start and when did it end yes we arrived to Alabama to that first mixer where we did all the speed dates um, at the end of September so September 25th I think is the official start date of filming and then the entire process for filming I think they filmed for eight weeks total that's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. I moved here, I think, 10 days before you started filming. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, with your experience on the show, is there any advice that you might have for the girlies out there still <laughs> looking for love? Yeah, I love that. Um, I feel like the entire time that I was involved in the filming of this, I really wanted to portray myself and just be my genuine self. And I think that really worked out for me. I'm excited for you guys to see the rest of my journey throughout the show. And hopefully that you see that part of me reflected and how I was myself the whole time. And I think that's the advice that I have for people trying to date nowadays. I feel like you just really have to be yourself and fall in love with yourself first and be really kind of self-confident and learn what makes you tick and really just try and put yourself out there as much as you can possibly because I think that's the best way that you're going to get, you know, what you want out of a partner and really continue to, again, fall in love with yourself. Well, last question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have a Valentine this year? (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're going to have to wait and see. (laughs) I think there is, what, 12 episodes left of the season now, so it'll be interesting to see if I uh, make it. Grace Gerard is from Caledonia, and she is a contestant on Fox's reality dating show Farmer Wants a Wife. She spoke with Lake Effect's Excret Nunez. You can still follow Gerard's journey on the show, which airs at 8 p.m. on Thursdays on Fox. The dating game has changed. With more dating apps and matchmaking websites out there than we can count, it's kind of rare for people to actually meet in person these days. But that's not the case for two local couples whose love stories started on the bus. The Milwaukee County Transit System may seem like an unlikely place to find love, but for these couples, their relationships grew along the route. We'll hear from two couples, one pair worked as drivers at MCTS and the other met as passengers. They all join former Lake Effect producer Mallory Chang. My name is Emmett Nash. I met Yolanda at Safeline School Bus Company in August of 87. We started dating about November. Uh, it was actually October. We, we went on our first date in October to Rocky Rococo's Pizza at Bayshore. That, I'll never forget it. That was our first date. And uh, we've been together ever since. You know, we've been married for 30 years and have not even separated. And now I'll let Yolanda talk. <laughs> and he says that I was the pursuer. 
That's his story. He's sticking to it. It's been a, a long, long ride, three children away and many years to go. Could you talk a bit about that? Why does Emmett say that you're the pursuer, Yolanta? Absolutely. That's such a great question. Emmett used to be a trainer, and he was standing outside one day, and it was the sun was shining, and he had this really long, pretty hair, really pretty brown eyes. And I asked my instructor, I said, oh, who's that cute guy over there? And um, he said, oh, that's Emmett. I said, oh, I said, he's really cute. So then my trainer says, hey, E, hey, E, come here. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I kind of want to shrink, right? Because you don't expect somebody to do that. So he came over there. He was like, man, she thinks you cute. Then fast forward maybe about a week or so later, I was in the car getting ready to leave. He comes out walking to his car. Then I asked him, I said, would you like to do, would you like to go for pizza one day? And I think that's how it started. So, yeah, he said I pursued him. What does that sound like to you? Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought she was, I thought she was gorgeous. I was never one for approaching a woman. If a woman showed interest in me and I thought she was interesting to me and the conversation was decent, when you meet someone, you really don't know them. But Yolanda was the first person that I met that we had commonalities in thoughts, you know, because you meet someone, they're raised by a different set of parents than you are, of course. So you don't know how they're going to be responsive to what you have to say or how you do things or even raising children. So to answer that question, I thought she was gorgeous and I was definitely interested once she said something to me. <laughs> we were at, we actually met at Safeline, which was a school bus company uh, back in the 80s. So we were dating well before either of us came to transit. When I started driving the school bus, she was actually at that time, I believe, working for MPS by then. Yeah. I was at yeah, she was working for MPS and I was driving uh, transit. Uh, we had both, of course, left left the school bus company. And then she noticed that, you know what, you're coming home, not stressed out, not frustrated. She says, I'm dealing with other people's kids, having to have meetings with parents to tell them how their kids are acting in school and their parents are not receptive of what I'm saying. She says, I'm going to put an application in with the transit. And of course, I didn't believe her. And sure enough, a letter came in the mail saying that she uh, was being accepted for testing and she passed and the rest is history. Here we are. She's 27 years in now. 28 28 years in now. March 13th will be 28. And I retired after 29 years of driving uh, transit. But it's been a good ride. The marriage has been, been great, you know, through it all we've had our ups and downs and you think about it when you're marrying someone you're marrying someone that you really don't know I mean because most of the time people meet and they haven't known each other a long time before they get married I think mine and uh, Yolanda's engagement was probably the longest of any of our friends that we know of that have been married I think that's a big key I think because now you see people meeting each other and getting married in one, two, three months. You know what? And and honestly, it has worked for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. And personally, I would say at least do an engagement, at least try a year. A year you would kind of know a little bit about that person. 
believe it or not, we though we have things we like different, we have a lot of things in common. My name is Todd Wanta. Um, and I'm Christine Walner Wanta. We've known each other for a while. We are we are gonna be married two years this May on May fifteenth. Um, she worked at Northwestern Mutual Life, and at that time I was working at the bank. Across the street. Across the street, and so we met on the bus. She was talking to a friend of hers on the seat in front of me, and their conversation was interesting, and I just kind of butted in. And Chris and I just kind of hit it off pretty well. Chris was talking to her friend Sally at the time, and uh, I would see Chris on the bus, and we would just every day going home, uh, we would uh, converse with each other. A few months after we had met, she gave me a Notre Dame t-shirt and people know I, I love the Packers and Bucks Brewers and I love Notre Dame football. So she gave me the t-shirt in early October. And for me, that was hook, line and sinker. She all she had to do was reel me in. And then I asked her out on, uh, on October 29th and she said, Okay, that'd be great. And I know she likes seafood, so I took her to her favorite seafood restaurant. And I want to ask Chris, what did you think of Todd when he interrupted your conversation with your friend while you were riding the bus? Have you noticed each other before? Did you know of each other before? Um, no, not really. I mean, that was the first time that I kind of got to <laughs> got to know him, and we, we just hit it off. We just started talking. And get to know a lot of things about a person when you're riding a bus and when you're on the bus for about 45 minutes every day. So <laughs> he turned out being my best friend and soulmate. We were best friends. We turned out to be best friends from all the talking we did on the bus. <laughs> Her father had passed away. And before he had passed away, he said, he would call her Strudel. He'd say, Strudel, because he was worried that she may not meet somebody. And so he said, Strudel, isn't there somebody at the office you could meet? Isn't there somebody on the bus you could meet? And about six months after that, we met. So I, we, we kind of think, and my father was passed away for quite a while at that time. We kind of think a little bit that our fathers in heaven got together and kind of put us together a little bit. Maybe it was divine intervention. <laughs> How did you both decide that you wanted to tie the knot and to be together? Well, I mean, after a while, I started thinking, okay, you know, this is working out real well. And I always tell her she gets to get out a purgatory free card just for putting up with me. <laughs> but she just seemed to, to we, we just seemed to click on everything. Um, our faith, our disposition, what, how we were brought up. Both of us had so much of the same values, the same line of thinking on, on how we want to live our lives. We were going to get married on June 20th of 2020. The pandemic put uh, everything on hold. So then we moved it up to May 15th of 2021. We get to the wedding day. It was beautiful. We were married at the Basilica of St. Josephat in Milwaukee. It's a beautiful church. And when we came out of the church after the wedding ceremony, a freeway flyer was right in front. It was brand new. And on the flyer, it says, we love you up in the, in the front part of it. And they invited us to go onto the bus and we took pictures on the bus. They had me sit in the driver's seat, honk the horn and such. 
And um, I looked at Chris. I said, well, it looks like we got busted. <laughs> and it was actually wonderful. And they also, at Milwaukee County Transit System, they gave us a beautiful bus sign. It looks like a regular bus street sign that you would see on the streets of Milwaukee for the flyer. And the little license plate has 51521, which was our wedding date. And on the very bottom, it says, congratulations, Chris and Todd from all of us at MCTS. And bringing it back to Yolanda and Emmett, both of you have been married for over 30 years now. And as we're talking about your relationship and your long-lasting relationship, what pieces of advice do you have for people out there who also want to have decades-long loving relationship like the both of you? Through it all, for me, if I were to say anything, Christ first, and then compromise, communication, communication Mm -hmm. for sure. And then there's going to have to be some compromise because everything that she likes, I don't like. Everything that I like, she don't like. So compromise is definitely necessary. Communication is key. Three good C's, Christ, communication, and compromise. I think that when you meet someone and you believe that this is the person, I think that you have to really get to know a person. You have to dissect them. You know, you never really get to know a person 100%. Even when you when you marry them, you start seeing things that you didn't see before you got married. That's right. But I always tell people, make sure when you go into this thing called marriage, it's a forever thing. It's not one of the things where you get tired and you're ready to throw in the towel after a couple of months because that's not how marriage is supposed to be. When you take that vow, that vow is really forever. Emmett and Yolanda Nash have been married for 30 years. Emmett worked at MCTS for 29 years. Yolanda continues to drive for MCTS. They spoke with former Lake Effect producer Mallory Chang last year. Coming up, it's not too late to start your New Year's resolution. Dig In contributor Venus Williams joins us next to share how she's honoring the Earth with her resolutions. That's next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Lake Effect. On 89.7 WUWM, I'm Joy Powers. It may be the second month of 2024, but it's never too late to start this year's resolutions. Every month, Dig In contributor Venus Williams chats with us about all things gardening and healthy cooking. This month, she's sharing her Earth-focused resolutions for 2024. Venus, as always, thank you so much for being here on Lake Effect. It is such a pleasure to start 2024 with you. There are so many different ways that people start the new year, but I think one big one is making a variety of resolutions. You know, maybe you want to exercise more, get healthier. And one of your big resolutions is uh, celebrating the earth, being a better steward to the earth. Now, you've come up with five different ways that we can all do that this year. Yes. For a lot of us, when we think about New Year resolutions, they're very personal and related often to our body and physical health. I want us to shift and think 
the same about our relationship with the earth and its physical health. And so there are things that I have done for quite some time and just have become more intentional about. So one of those things is I create a nature altar. So in our home, in our living room, you can walk in and you'll see all of these different elements of nature represented on a table. Now, creating an altar of any kind is a deeply personal act. And so there's not a right way or a wrong way to do that. I gather items all year round, but I connect with those items most during the winter months because I am in my home and I am still. So my nature altar has pine cones on it. It has peanuts in their shells and okra pods because those are two very cultural pieces of nature for me and they relate to my ancestral heritage. I have a sunflower head that I have harvested and will use those seeds during this 2024 growing season. And so it reminds me of the regenerative nature of the earth and what it means to save seeds and what it means to have life literally resting in something that looks dead. I have photos of my personal earth or nature heroes, and they are both familial, so they are members of my ancestral family, but then there are also historical folks. And then also on my nature altar, I have sayings, I have environmental books, I have things that when I walk past it, I could just pick it up and read something and then put it back down. So that nature altar during a time when many of us are at home more and maybe are longing to be outside, it just reminds us of the cycles of nature and just the things that have nourished us. And needless to say, there are dried herbs on my altar as well. (laughs) Of course. Now, uh, one of the things that I've done for myself, and I think a lot of Milwaukeeans have done, is I got a membership to the Mitchell Park Domes. I actually live not that far from there. And in the middle of the winter, it's one of the best places to go to reconnect with nature. Yes, it is number two on my list. I have been there twice in the past four weeks. And it is a wonderful way to remind ourselves of how diverse and beautiful and amazing creation is. I go there to breathe in all of that incredible air that the plants create. But don't just go to look. Winter is a great time to actually read the signage, read about the plant life, read about their origins. I learn so much each time I go to the domes. And I really enjoy spending at least two hours there um, with each visit. The other thing that going to the Mitchell Park Domes does for me is it connects me to other people during the winter who also want to be connected to plant life. So, you know, obviously I go through withdrawal, not being able to plant seeds outside or harvest or sit in an herbal patch. So going to the Mitchell Park Domes, it just really helps me to connect to other people. And I always meet folks, I interact in those domes, and then we're able to build relationships 
through coming out of isolation in this beautiful space. One of the really neat things about the domes is you can see all of these different plants that are actually used as house plants here in the U.S. One of my favorites, uh, the I believe it's just the jungle dome is what it's called, the kind of rainforest, humid dome. You can see the best version of all of your house plants, which really speaks to uh, the third thing on this list. Yes, the third thing on my list is cultivate something indoors that needs to be watered. That's very important, that needs to be watered. So yes, when we go through the dome, sometimes I can feel very inadequate about what my plants might look like at home. And then I remind myself that there's a full staff there. But having something in your home that requires water, once again, brings you out from yourself in your resolutions. It's also a reminder of how important water is. When I water my plants, it makes me drink more water during these months um, when I could really forget how much water my body requires to be at its optimal health. Watering plants affirms my connectedness to this element, but also my connectedness to the life of the plants. The plants aren't going to survive on their own in my home. And so it reminds me of how interconnected I can be with plant life and how I am to be a steward of these things that grow. It connects me to a bigger picture, not to mention what certain plants do for the air quality in your home when we have all of this artificial air coming through through our furnaces. Watering plants just remind us of all the different things in our own lives and in the plant life that need quenching, that need nourishment, that need attention. Now, on the flip side of this a bit, so talking about being a steward of the earth, we have, you know, planting things, reconnecting with our outdoor environment in the many different ways that we can during the winter, but also ensuring that we aren't taking too much and what we take, we are reusing, we are repurposing. Tell us about this fourth item. The fourth item are my four R's. Rethink, reduce, repurpose, recycle. And that rethink one is very important because before you even can consider how your habits your rituals, your needs, and your wants are impacting the earth, you really need to spend some time thinking about it. And what better time than winter when you are at home or many of us? So taking a visual environmental inventory of your life is what I am referring to here. Looking at each room in your house where you live, how are you doing? How are you doing related to the earth? How are you as a consumer? What is your value system related to the earth when it comes to consumption? Um, how are you spending your money and how are the items in your home a reflection of that? So I want us to take a look at packaging. Are you buying in bulk? Um, do you have a lot of unnecessary wrappers because of the way you spend money? There are two questions that I ask myself over and over again on any given day. How many times and how many ways am I able to repurpose that? 
So I do that even when I'm out shopping. Um, before I purchase an item of clothing or something else that I need or I think I need for our home, how many times and in how many ways am I able to repurpose that bag, that packaging, that jar, that container that this item that I think I need so badly comes in? And we could not in this particular point number four without examining our use of plastic water bottles and plastic bags. I will say no more on that one. <laughs> now, the final item on this list of resolutions is something that I think can be controversial, but also something that many of us are trying to do, maybe not even as stewards of the earth, but because our grocery bills are getting higher and higher. Grocery bills are getting higher, and this issue impacts our heart health and other areas of our health. And number five is reduce your meat intake. Now notice, I didn't invite every listener to become a vegan or a vegetarian. I'm inviting you to consider how much meat you consume and to understand that undoubtedly research has found that food production is a major driver of climate change and environmental damage. So a way to do this is having at least one meat-free day a week or one meat-free meal every day. All right, so five different ways that we can become better stewards of the earth. Now, uh, I know as in every month, you've been reading a lot this month. What is the book that you'd like to share with us today? So the book that I would like to share is one of my favorite prayer books, believe it or not, and it's called Life Prayers, 365 Prayers, Blessings, and Affirmations to Celebrate the Human Journey. Um, it is from the same editors of Earth Prayers, if anyone's familiar with Earth Prayers, and so many of the meditations and blessings in here connect us to and remind us of our relationship with the planet. I have given out as gifts over the course of probably the past six years, at least 30 copies of this particular prayer book. And yes, it does sit on my nature altar. Very nice. Well, Venus, as always, thank you for joining us here on Lake Effect and sharing your work. Blessings and happy new year. Venus Williams is the executive director of Alice's Garden and the Fondy Food Center. Every month she joins us to talk about all things gardening and healthy foods in a series we call Dig In. You can find our previous conversations at wuwm.com. It's February, it's Valentine's Day, and this week's Sounds Like Milwaukee celebrates those two events with a love letter to Wisconsin winters. Sounds Like Milwaukee is a series that asks you, listeners and community members, to send in your favorite sounds. WUWM's Mayan Silver brings us this ode to cold weather sounds. The days are short, the skies are gray, and when the weather is frosty in Milwaukee... There's usually snow on the ground. Hi, this is Lear Hugger, and I live in Milwaukee. One of my favorite activities is I'd rather be walking out in the woods. And 
you, you don't very often get to hear the crunching snow. It, it's got to be special conditions. The snow has to have the right moisture. And one time we were in the Seven Bridges Park going over the bridge. I belonged to a hiking club, Wisconsin Hiking Club. And we go all over. And we were in Seven Bridges Park. And the whole troop of us is going over this bridge. And the snow was just right. And we're all going crunch, 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 crunch. And I, you know, I, I just really enjoyed that sound. Maybe he's forgotten what it's like to dig your car out of slushy banks, but the crunch of footsteps through snow is one of Lee's favorite sounds. Our next listener takes us indoors during a dreary winter day. My name is Nicole. We're in my house on the main floor in front of the fire. Nicole is an ICU nurse. After a long and sometimes harrowing day at work, Nicole returns to a comfy sofa in front of a 100-year-old brick fireplace. She stacks a few logs to blaze over a coal base. Orange and yellow flames turn into wisps of smoke that curl up into the chimney. It's such a nice way to spend these cold, dark winter nights just being warm around the light of the fire and sitting with my husband, talking to him about how the day went, talking about ideas, philosophy, when there's not a whole lot else to do. Nicole grew up in a small town. Her house was heated by a wood-burning fireplace. So the sound makes her nostalgic for childhood. It reminds me of being in a cabin in northern Wisconsin with no running water or electricity and the fire is the only light at night outside of the stars. So whether you're cozy in front of the fireplace with a good book or tromping through the outdoors, it is possible to have a love affair with Wisconsin's winters. WUWM wants to hear your favorite sounds. It could be anything, from your uncle's favorite joke to the clink of an absentee ballot into a federal mailbox. Go to wuwm.com to learn how to participate in sounds like Milwaukee. Mayan Silver, 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. That was Sounds Like Milwaukee, and it'll wrap up today's show for us. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Joy Powers. If you missed any of today's conversations, or if you'd like to take Lake Effect on the go, download our podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, we'll hear from Impact 211 about how Milwaukee prepares warming shelters when extreme cold is in the forecast. Plus, we'll learn about the footprint that the FBI has had in Milwaukee, including an inside look of their local office along the lake in St. Francis. That's all tomorrow at noon, right here on Lake Effect, on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR.